I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And we're the Trade Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS, where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. The Trade Guys are back, and they're here to talk about all the eye-popping news between the U.S. and China as the trade war rages on. Meanwhile, the U.S. and Japan appear to have their trade relationship back on track with a new agreement. We'll talk about all that and more on this episode of The Trade Guys. The Trade Guys are back, school is in, and the trade war is escalating. And traffic is terrible. Traffic's terrible. Yes. It took me like 45, 50 minutes to get in this morning. It's all those people turning left at your school. And <laughs> that's right. They're all turning left. I left late today. My wife took the kids. I was in the pool, and it still took me 45, 50 minutes to get here. Really? Yeah. yeah. It's the first day of everybody's new commuting pattern. Well, nobody's going to like it because today the market is way down as we speak. It's Tuesday, obviously. Day school's back in Montgomery County and in D.C. There's a lot going on with the trade war escalating. On Sunday, President Trump's trade war with China entered new territory, and the next round of tariffs took effect. So it's interesting. Peterson, our colleagues over at the Peterson Institute, have now come up with a new piece of data, and they say that this move will bring the average tariffs on Chinese imports to 21.2%, up from only 3.1% when President Trump came into office. That's pretty big. That's huge. Yes. Yeah. 20% on anything is going to be huge. And it's going to get worse when the December ones go into effect. But we're near maximum coverage on yes. tariffs, uh, right? Well, not quite. Not quite. We're about 65, 70% of, of imported goods from China are affected by the tariff. Plan is by December 15th, though, almost 100%. I think it's like 97% will be covered by December By 15th. December 15th. But you're, you're right. The average trade-related tariff, well, the United States is basically an open market. Uh, our average trade-related tariff on an MFN basis is around 3%. Actual collections are about 1.7%. So we we generally have low tariffs on everything, uh, almost everything. And now tariffs on Chinese goods are getting getting to the point where everybody starts to notice. So, I mean, American tariffs on foreign goods had already climbed higher than any time since the 60s before Sunday. And then the United States imposes another new 15% tariff. And these levies are on food, clothing, lawnmowers, and thousands of other made-in-China products. This is almost nearly everything China ships to the United States. The ones on yeah, on Sunday will be significant because for the first time, there are a lot of consumer items right. that will attack people right in their pocketbook. Clothing, shoes. This is stuff people buy at Walmart. Toys, furniture. Those well, toys are, mostly, toys are mostly in the December tranche, and electronic stuff is mostly in the December tranche. So it's just in time for Christmas. Well, no, because it'll all be imported before December 15th. I mean, the yeah. stuff that you're going to buy in, in, at, for Christmas presents, that comes in in September and October, if not already in. And, and in fact, you know, shoppers today at Walmart may not... Well, it depends. They may not notice a difference because right. actually all the stuff that's there today certainly arrived before Sunday. Correct. Now, that doesn't mean that Walmart won't take advantage of the situation and bump up a price or two but in anticipation. But, but Bill's over, your overall point is right. So far, the consumers have really not seen much in pricing uh, that, that it's affected them directly. But now they're going to. 
Well, likely. I mean, look, you know, the first year of the of the tariffs on China, uh, many of us were surprised when the average import price to the United States actually declined in the first year. So you look on the macro level, uh, it's hard to find the disruption. Now, you product by product, I'm certain there's a lot happening and a lot of adjustments in supply chains. Now, given the, given the, the, the scope of the new tariffs and the basically complete coverage by December, uh, if we ever notice, it, we'll notice now. It'll be interesting to go back and look at this six or eight months from now to see what happened, because it's an interesting example of the argument that we've exploded, I think, on this podcast in the past about who pays. Yeah. And, and, and because Trump keeps saying the Chinese pay, and the fact is the Chinese don't pay, the importer pays. But it is also true that if you're an American buyer and you have a lot of market power, Walmart might be a good example, you can sometimes go back to your supplier and say, will you give us a deal? Because I'm going to buy, you know, 8,000 dozen of this kind of T-shirt. And uh, if you can't uh, lower your price a little bit, maybe I won't do that. And so the big guys come out of this uh, sometimes being able to force some of the cost back on the Chinese, whereas little guys don't have any leverage and, and they can't do that. Clear that that's going to happen all the time. And in the end, it ends up being, you know, in the, in the gray area where the Chinese will eat some, the retailer will eat some, and the consumer will eat some. Uh, it's not entirely clear cut. What is clear cut is the Chinese do not pay at all. And we know that. So Chinese government. Chinese. Are they hurting from this? Oh, yeah. Yes. yes. I mean, look, I think we've characterized it before as given the economic relationship, the U.S. has more ability to inflict harm on China. China has more ability to absorb harm. And, and to, to absorb the pain. But this is hurting. And uh, you can see it in their, their economic numbers appear to be slowing down. Uh, this is a factor in it. But they've been slowing down for other reasons. Yes. I mean, it, it's hard. These things always get complicated because you're trying to tease out a single cause when there are, there are many. Their economy has been slowing down more or less for the last couple of years. Uh, growth is still around uh, 6%, which uh, people here would kill for. But for them, it's, you know, it, it's a significant uh, reduction it's from, low for them. from uh, what it had been. And it's beginning to get worse. And wage rates have been rising anyway. Uh, so, uh, and I, we think that, I mean, I shouldn't speak for Scott. I think that the way that Xi Jinping is conducting the economy, which is channeling more credit to the state-owned enterprises, more credit to the un- unprofitable parts of the economy, and not to the vibrant uh, private sector part, is only making things worse. So there's a lot of things that are happening in the Chinese economy that are bad, uh, one of which is tariffs, but it's not the only thing. Well, so the latest tariffs bring the total U.S. tariffs on China to about $360 billion worth of imports. That's nothing to sneeze at. No. Well, that's correct. It's, it, is, it is a lot of what we import from China, but in the, in the context of a $22 trillion annual economy here, uh, it, 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 you got to keep it in, keep it all right. in perspective. Right. But there, this is the kind of pressure that the president uh, intends to apply, and force all the supply chain operators to revisit whether or not they wanted they want to relocate, whether they want to hedge and move production out of China. Um, once the, once those decisions to move supply chain partners and use partners the, that are that are not in China, those decisions kind of have semi-permanence to them. Once you've hedged, qualified a new supplier, gotten new, new production up and running, it probably doesn't revert back even with the removal of the tariffs. So, Scott, is, is the administration's objective to push United States companies out of China, or is it to force China to make concessions 
that result in U.S. companies being treated more fairly in China? It seems to me that the, their objective is the latter, their tactic is the former. In other words, they're using supply chain pressure on the pressure on supply chain operators, including those with American headquarters, to make different decisions to apply pressure to the government of China. What they're really looking for is fairer treatment. And keep in mind, not everybody who every American company or every American enterprise that operates in China is a supply chain operator. There are many. You know, KFC would be a good example, or Walmart operates a lot of stores in China, and they basically are in China to serve the Chinese consumer. I hereby order Kentucky Fried Chicken out of China. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 so why? You know, yeah, yeah, right. it's it's not. It's a really it, different business not, model. My General Motors sells more cars in China than they sell in the United States. Yeah. So so th- these companies that are in business to serve the Chinese consumer have a different profile and are certainly would like fairer treatment. On the other hand, as pressures escalate from the United States. I think that we are likely to see a number of U.S. firms in China face pressure from the Chinese government, whether it's delayed regulatory approvals or additional inspections or whatever it might be. It's 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 never been easy to operate in China. It's likely to get tougher for those firms. Yeah, I'd answer the question a, a different way. I, I think Scott is basically right, but I think within the administration there are differences of view about differences of view about this. I think there are some people in the administration who think that decoupling, if which is what you're talking about. Uh, is a good idea, and that is what we should be pursuing. I don't think that's the president's goal. I think the president wants a deal. That's the way he thinks, and what a deal is for him tends to change from uh, time to time, which is why people are confused. Sometimes a deal is let's buy a whole bunch of soybeans or let's sell them a whole bunch of soybeans, LNG, airplanes, cut the deficit, declare victory. Other times, there are these structural issues that we've talked about for weeks that really need to be addressed, and if the Chinese won't address them, we can't have a deal. He has not yet accepted big buys as as a solution. On the other hand, you don't really know what he's prepared to accept as a solution. I think what he wants to be able to do is declare victory to the American people and say, I've made things better for you. And decoupling, I think, is hard. it's hard to say that's better for anybody. He wants to come back with a victory saying, I forced them to change their practices. I forced them to buy more stuff. And he is the president. So yes. that's the policy that And And in the, in the interim, he's basically saying, somebody had to do this. Okay. I wish one of my predecessors would have done it, but somebody had to, and I'm the guy. Okay. But so he, may, maybe he can say that, but hasn't the trade war turned into something of a quagmire at this point? Well, yes. They're locked in one of these uh, embraces that they neither one can get out of because right now, I, th- I think it's not in the interest of either uh, to pull out. I mean, Trump has spent a year, two years, talking about how important this is, what a big deal it is, also how close to a deal we are, how much progress we're making, how much they're suffering, how anxious they are to make a deal. If he pulls out, that's failure, you know, which is not really in his vocabulary, but that's admitting failure and exposes himself to enormous criticism. And for the Chinese, the, the, the closer we get to our election, the closer they get to potentially having a different counterparty. So, so they're going to wait it out. If they pull out, it allows Trump to blame it all on them, which gives him not really a victory, but something he can call you know, better than a defeat. Uh, and it also, I think, undermines the, the role the Chinese are trying to play globally, which is to say, hey, we are the good guys. 
we are the sustainer of the trading system. I don't know that anybody believes that, but that's what they're saying. If they pull out, I think they undermine that. It gives Trump an excuse to blame them. And Scott is exactly right. I, I don't think they've figured out as nobody has figured out, uh, you know, how our election is going to come out. But uh, it's got to be tempting for them to, you know, continue this for a while. Just wait, to and see see. What, wait and see what happens. But you see, Trump's going to wait and see what happens, too, because the best thing for him, I think, is to make a deal uh, in October of 2020. Because if he does it sooner than that, uh, it has time to fall apart. And it has time. It won't be a good agree- agreement because they're not going to give us everything that he wants. So he has a choice of a weak agreement or continue the war. What he will do, I think, is take a weak agreement, say it's a strong agreement, declare victory, uh, and hope that nobody figures out that that's not true before they vote. But that means he has to drag these talks on for another year. Because if he makes a deal in this September or next month, it's going to fall apart in the intervening period. If he waits a year, maybe he gets away with it. So I think he's in the talks for the long haul. Yes. The Chinese are in the talks for the long, or the long haul. But it's what you said. It's a quagmire because neither one is going to agree to what the other one wants, but neither one is willing to pull out. And meanwhile, for Donald Trump, consumers may start to feel this, uh, particularly his voters. Well, well, they may, but we keep, say that. But, well, yeah, yes. Look they, at the farmers, you know. It, it's, yeah, well, right. They're feeling it still hasn't, hasn't, hasn't shaken them. No. And, and, a year, and a year from now, I mean, the, there's a term in consumer marketing called meeting an initiative in the base. You launch it in January of one year. The next year, it's part of your base period. So he's going to meet the tariffs in the base right before the election. The economy, since all our comparisons are versus year ago, may actually look rosy given the tariffs are in the base and the post. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a bad gamble on his part. Also, I would point out, there is, there is no challenge to the substance of the policy from his political opponents, from Senator Schumer to any of the Democratic That's candidates. Right. Only the implementation, there, there not are, the goal. There's criticism on implementation, but not the policy itself. In fact, most of the politicians are falling all over themselves to take an even tougher line right. than he has. When he put, for example, when he put or implied that Huawei was in play as a bargaining chip, he took enormous grief from his own party, you know, beginning with Senator Rubio, but also Senator Schumer and a host of Democrats who said it's a national security issue. Right. You, can't, uh, you can't put it on the table. Well, isn't there a case to be made also, though, that, you know, he, he's got problems coming at him from, you know, small business owners as well? I mean, something caught my eye this week, too. Wall Street Journal surveyed that showed that economic confidence among small U.S. businesses is at its lowest since November 2012. So he's got heat coming from there as well. Still waiting for that to show up in political polling, though. Yeah. You know, he's still got, what, 90 percent support amongst Republicans? 88, according to Gallup, but 90 is a good good reference number among, you know, same party support. That's why there's no challenger for, for the party nomination. So he's not feeling the heat from the Democrats. He's not feeling the heat from his own party. He can, he's fine. And, he can and the, main st- well, the main street economy continues to be relatively strong. So that's what I think things will turn on. Do we begin to slide into recession um, in the first part of next year, which will make everyone nervous? We seem to be going through these waves of, of recession panic. We went through one in February because there were fourth quarter of 2018 results were not so great. So everybody was predicting 
you know, a recession either later this year or early next year. Then, you know, the next tranche of data looked pretty good. So in May and June, people weren't talking about that anymore. Earlier and, this and, month. And the, earlier this month, we had, well, last month, in August, we had recession panic all over again. Yeah, the, inv- the inverted yield curve sent everybody into a panic. But look, uh, you know, the basic consumer numbers are holding up. Employment is still strong. There's some things that uh, indicate that how people feel about the economy may be different than what the numbers say. Why do you think the Democrats aren't more uh, critical of Trump and his erratic handling of the Chinese? You know, I asked one of them about that. The answer was, there were multiple answers. One was, well, we are, but people aren't paying attention. Another one was, because we're spending way too much time responding to every tweet rather than looking at the bigger picture. And the guy is a master at changing the subject. And every day he rolls out a new enemy, a new thing that you've got to uh, you've got to deal with. And they've a lot of them are not able to resist the temptation to go after the outrage of the moment instead of concentrating on 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 the bigger picture. So they're basically saying he's rendered them powerless. They wouldn't put it that way, but <laughs> on this, keep in mind on this issue, the issue of China. The American people, and Bruce Stokes' data shows this, the American people believe China is an unfair trading partner. Okay, right. they believe that. So if you're going to pick on somebody, that's fine. They, they, you know, they, they do not perceive Europe or Japan or Canada or Mexico that way. And the voters, so the voters are basically saying the president's right about identifying them as, a, as an unfair trading partner. And that's, that's why nobody challenges the policy, I think. Even though the way he's handling it is oh the, oh they'll they'll nitpick the way he handles it oh they're it. they're criticizing the way he handles it yeah but it's not sustained it's not loud it's not this isn't the right guy to handle it, it maybe because we're you know everybody's been away there hasn't been anybody here in Washington doing a daily briefing or anything they've all been out meeting with constituents the last debate was at the end of July so we haven't had the candidates uh, making nationwide public statements they've all been at the Iowa State Fair or various other places. I think once people come back into town next week, uh, you're going to hear a more coordinated approach. Why haven't we heard more from business leaders? I mean, it's made the market uncertain at best. The market's been up. It's been down. It's been, you know, it looks like Trump's playing with the market even. Why haven't we heard more from business leaders about this? Well, you've heard from the roundtable. You've heard from the U.S. Chamber. I can't remember if if NAM has said anything recently. Well, we're not hearing from major investors. Are we? No, I, mean, I don't know. I, I'm not. I don't, I, well, it's, it's, a, it's a missing piece. And, and, and keep in mind, their experience with China is not all that different than voters. I mean, companies doing business in China, and you can see this in the U.S.-China Business Council surveys, are generally, they're making money. They know they have to be there because of the size of the consumer market. But they're not happy about the way they're being treated, and they don't think it's going to improve anytime soon. So for some companies, in some respects, they probably agree with what the president's doing. So it sounds like you all think that there's some support for what President Trump's doing. There's support for his ideas. There's support for his goal. There's not a lot of support for tariffs as an instrument. Uh, most people think that that's an instrument that's doomed to fail, that he's not going to achieve what he wants. There's been a couple of surveys of American companies doing business in China recently. And I mean, they say what, what Scott said, uh, you know, they're all making money, but they're all unhappy because of the way they're being treated. Fewer of them than you might think are seriously considering leaving. But of the ones that are seriously considering leaving, I think all but 3% of them are considering going somewhere else other than the United States. There are not, you know, if the message from the president is come home, 
that's not being heard. They're not coming home. They're going to Vietnam. They're going to Bangladesh. They're going to India. They're going to Indonesia. They're going to, you know, 50 places, but not the United States. There's a lot of hedging. But if you're hedging, you don't want to be in the newspapers. You don't want to be making public statements. You want to just hedge. And the ones that are not going are not going for the reason that Scott said. That is, despite all the talk here, you know, they're not in China to import back into the United States. They're in China to meet the demands of Chinese consumers to serve the Chinese market. Now, some of them ship stuff back here, and those are the people that Trump likes to attack, but it's like KFC. You know, they're not shipping chicken back to the United States. They're in China to sell chicken to Chinese. All right, in this quagmire, what do you guys think happens next in the short term? Sound and fury signify nothing. Yes, exactly. A lot of drama. They're locked in this embrace. I don't think they get out of it for a year. So we're going to have, we can have this conversation 12 more times at least. <laughs> the US China tensions will be like the Standard and Poor 500, which has crossed the 2900 mark about 30 times since January of 2017 or oh, 2018. Man. So we're in, we're in for a ride here. We're in here. for a Buckle cycle here. Yeah. Buckle up. Buckle up. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to Japan quickly. What what about what happened with Japan? Japan and th- that's a good news story, right? Well, maybe uh, it, it does reveal the tendency I think which is transcends this administration, uh, you know, to announce things before they're finished. And in trade agreements, that's that's dangerous. When they say we've reached an agreement in principle, what that means is it means we haven't agreed on the fine print yet. And there's a good bit of fine print in this, beginning with will the Japanese get a commitment from Donald Trump not to impose automobile tariffs? It's a big one. And he has not said that he's committed to that. And after the Mexican episode, which I put great stock in, where here's a case where you know, we negotiate an agreement painfully, sign it, and six months later, he declares, you know, across the board tariffs on Mexicans because of something completely different. And then he doesn't do it, but he declares it. Anybody watching that is going to say, why do I believe him? You know, but we've got to be prepared to cope with the difference in language between what the president says and what people, particularly in Washington, who are in the trade business, hear. What we hear was U.S.-Japan trade agreement. We see a stack of papers about about 18 inches high with all kinds of detailed commitments and obligations and that are mutually uh, agreed and mutually reinforced. And that we, we see a lot of complexity. The president sees a deal. He's got a deal probably on a few products. Nobody really knows. The, there are certainly, the headlines are about a few products. Beef and pork. Beef and pork. We know there's not going to be zero tariffs on automobiles. The 2.5% tariff stays in place, apparently. Uh, but we don't know any of the parameters. And so that stack of papers is not going to suddenly materialize. What the president wants to do is he wants deals. He does not want comprehensive trade agreements. Does this thing stack up to the TPP or what? Oh, No. Not at all. Apparently not. So it's just a smaller bilateral. Yes, but let, don't sell it off completely because the the inclusion of digital trade language is important and useful. It's probably gold standard language if it came from USMCA yes. or if it's USMCA plus. Yes. And it's a good thing, but it's not comprehensive. Will there be coverage of services? We don't know. Will there be a chapter on investment? We don't know. Probably not. Uh, will there be chapters on conformity assessment and regulation? We don't know. 
to when, be determined. So, so when are you guys going to get the, the actual details on this and be able to geek out on it? Well, I'm counting on uh, Chairman Grassley and uh, Chairman Neal to demand it fairly soon. Yeah, that's got to be coming. I think, uh, well, they're not going to get anything until after UN General Assembly time when it's something is signed or announced. I think you know, the, the big reveal is being delayed until Abe and Trump meet in, in New York at the end of September. But even then, I mean, I don't think there's going to be an agreement unless Abe gets what he wants on, on autos. And so, you know, there, you could raise the question, is anybody going to believe anything that, that the president says? But if he doesn't say it, I don't think there's going to be an agreement anyway. Well, we'll have to watch that one, too, and wait for the fine print. Yes. To be continued. Guys, it's good to be back. School is in, and uh, we'll have to watch out for the traffic. Indeed. To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.